Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens quite often that uh, maybe it's in an appointment, maybe it's a phone call, a text. Uh, usually it happens right in between services and out in the atrium where somebody walks up and says, Pastor, I know, I know you're busy. I know you probably don't have much time, but I just have a quick question for you. Do you know how that goes? Yes, look, I just have, I just have a quick question for you, which is code for A, not quick, B, you won't be able to answer it. And like these, these, these questions come so often in these uh, moments and uh, I usually feel so helpless. It's just kind of like, I, I don't have a whole lot for you in the 45 seconds that we have allotted to this response, right? Why? Because sometimes we have questions, sometimes we have things that come to our mind, things that come our way, that they're just, they're just not clear. They're cloudy and we need help from someone to bring some clarity to those things. They often fall in different categories, the, the ones that you just go, oh, it's a little tough. Like, like what's, what's God's will for my life? <laughs> like, how do I make a life-changing decision? And then sometimes they even revolve around some things in our culture, politics, family, sexuality, cultural issues that we come up against. The answer is rarely cut and dry. Oftentimes, there's real no, really no clear answer. What you need is clarity that comes in some way. And this is why we're talking about this as a part of the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So we've been in this series called A New Season. And part of what we've been looking at in this season is that the Holy Spirit works in our lives in ways that we might not always consider. Like sometimes I think we think that the Holy Spirit, we've talked about this over and over again in this series, is just kind of this it that just kind of hovers out here. Well, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is God, and he interacts in our lives on an everyday process. And we've been looking in the book of Acts at the way the Spirit worked in the lives of the believers then, because we believe the Spirit still works in our lives today. And part of what he wants to do is to bring a new season into your life, into my life. Springtime's a, a great time to talk about this. And we see this, new seasons emerge from fresh encounters with the Holy Spirit. So if you need a new season in your life, where it comes from is through a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. And here's what I wanna propose. Some of us need a new season because what we need from him is some clarity about our culture or about decisions that we need to make or about choices that we have ahead for us. And how do we move through that when the things around us tend to be cloudy? So, so we're, we're, we're praying this prayer that kind of goes with each one of these messages. And here's the one for today. We're praying, Heavenly Father, in this new season, may your Holy Spirit bring to me clarity for the culture. What I need in this world that I live in is clarity to see how I'm supposed to live. Now, you might be making a decision of some kind. You might be trying to navigate something as, as, a, as a worker. You might be navigating something as a student. Maybe there's choices you're having to make as a parent, and you're going, how, how do I do this? Well, the Holy Spirit can bring us clarity for the culture. I believe the Holy Spirit can bring you clarity when the issues are cloudy, and he can help us in those moments of our lives. Why is that necessary? Well, I think it's necessary now probably as much or more than ever because we live in a world of, that lacks a lot of biblical literacy. Isn't that true? Like a lot of the things that I take for granted because of the things that I know from God's word, I realize a lot of other people don't. 
Many of us, even, even uh, right here in the church, we go sometimes, I just don't know what God's word says. We live in a world that's influenced by addiction, by sexuality, by gender, by affluence, by entertainment. There's been a blurring of the lines between the church and the world. And I think a lot of times we can tend to have a spiritual amnesia where we know what it's like to be God's children, but we forget how to live like God's children in a world that is oftentimes sharing different values and beliefs. And so what do we do in those moments? How do we respond? Well, what we need is guidance, direction, clarity from the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna go to Acts chapter 15. What we see in Acts chapter 15 is a a really clear portrayal of how the church has to decide if we're going to be God's people, how do we live in a world that doesn't share those same values? Like, how do we live in a world that's, that's different as we figure out how to be God's people? So the backstory to this is, is, is interesting. The church in Jerusalem has these people that, that leave Jerusalem and go to a place called Antioch where the believers weren't so many Jews, they were a lot of Gentiles. And when they get there, they tell the people there, well, you really can't be Christians. Jesus really can't save you unless you follow the Jewish ritual practices like circumcision. So they're saying that to be saved, it's Jesus and something else. Now, the Bible's very clear. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by grace alone. True, right? But that's not what these guys were saying. They're rolling into the church, and they're upsetting a lot of these people in Antioch because they're saying, well, you're not really Christians unless. And so word gets back from some of the leaders in that church to Jerusalem, and they're like, we gotta sort this out because we've got to figure out how do we live in a culture where there's people coming into the church from outside of the church. Like, how do, we, how do we do this? So they have this big meeting in Jerusalem, and in this meeting, they try to decide how are we supposed to address people who believe God's word in a culture that has different values and beliefs. So after they meet, and we'll talk about their meeting here a little bit, and I'm gonna encourage you kind of for the whole backstory to go back and read Acts 15 for yourself. But after they meet, they say, well, what do we do next? So they say, well, look, we're gonna send some people from this meeting to the churches that need to hear these things, and we're gonna write them a letter. So today what we're gonna look at is the letter that they wrote. Because in this letter, they're giving instruction to the church, how do you live in your culture that doesn't share your same values? And as we do this, it's gonna help us because you might need clarity right now because you're facing some kind of conflict in a relationship, maybe some kind of conflict in your character. What's the right thing to do? It may be that you're in a moment where you're making some decisions. And the things we're gonna look at here are gonna help you. For all of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, the, the questions we'll look at today can help us to find clarity in a very cloudy culture. Let's just start here. This letter that they're writing to a church who lives in a culture that doesn't share all the same beliefs sounds like something that applies to us. True? True? Okay. (laughs) That helps me because just sometimes I like to give you a warning. You know how sometimes like when you're driving, it'll, it'll say like, you'll see a sign that says like rough pavement ahead. This won't be the happiest message you've ever heard. So like, like track with me on this because sometimes these are issues that are difficult for us to talk about. What do you do when you need clarity in your culture? Here's what I'm gonna challenge you with as we look at this letter that they wrote to the churches. Six questions for you to consider to find cultural clarity. Here's six questions that you may need to ask yourself 
that you may need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you examine and sort out if you need clarity in your world, in your situation, where you find yourself, if you need clarity for the culture, six questions to consider. Here's the first one. Number one, am I living in grace? Number one, am I living in grace? Here's the whole problem. It started because these outsiders came into the church in Antioch and said, unless you do it our way, you can't be saved. Like there was no grace in that. They didn't understand the culture, so what they did was they threw up these legalistic guardrails. Anybody ever been a part of an environment like that? You just draw these lines, and what we'll see in this story is what was needed was not legalistic guardrails, but the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what they needed, and so instead of this kind of harsh tone the response comes in this way. The leader in the church was a guy named James. James was actually the brother of Jesus. And they decide to write a letter. And listen to the letter that they write. Acts chapter 15, verse 23. With them, these are messengers that they're gonna send. They're gonna send the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, that's who the letter's from, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, that's who it's for, greetings. We've heard that someone out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. They lead off in this way to say, you know the troublemakers that came to you? They weren't from us. And you know what they said to you? That wasn't from Jesus. Like they drew lines that God doesn't draw and they were putting these legalistic things on you and what God has for you is grace. How you address situations, whether it be in our culture, situations where you have to make decisions, situations where you face conflict, it makes a huge difference how you address them. And I know that in those moments, I do much better when I don't address them out of my own emotions and attitude, but when I do it with the help of God's grace. Anybody? Like it helps me to remember that I've been shown great grace it helps me to remember that I'm supposed to forgive as I have been <laughs> forgiven, right? Oh, you heard that part. Right, and to let God work in these things. So if you're facing some, some place where you need clarity, grab hold of this for starters in this story. We should not be legalistic. We should not be so adamantly determined that we've got everything just right and there's an anger or there's this attitude that comes off that is actually something that pushes other people away. In fact, instead, when James is getting them ready to write this letter, here's what he says. I love this line. Acts chapter 15, verse 19. James says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I love that. What does Grace say? Grace says, I'm not gonna make this difficult. <laughs> Grace says, I'm gonna extend some some understanding, and some love your way. It's important that when you look at your life to say, am I living my life with grace? The reality is you can live for Jesus and stand for your convictions and still not be a jerk. Anybody? And you can live in a way that draws other people to Jesus. Why am I concerned about this? Well, because what was happening in the church at that time was they were taking minor issues and they were turning them into major things. And the reality is, I think we still do the same thing. <laughs> I think we can have a tendency to take things that are minor in eternity and make them major in our relationships. And what they do is they end up separating us 
from what Jesus really wants to do. What are the major things? Well, within the Christian world, the major thing is this, that we believe that there's only one way to salvation. It comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. True? And so that, that unites us as believers in Jesus Christ. And that's important for us to recognize. Here's something that might be good for you to know. I'm gonna guess that you're gonna get to heaven and be surprised at some of the people you see there. I'm pretty sure there'll be some people who'll be surprised to see you there, right? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. But I hope you're there. How do you get there? By realizing I need forgiveness that comes through Jesus alone as my savior. And he's the one who's my Lord and has direction over my life. And because I have made him my Lord and savior, I put my hope in him. That, those are the things that matter. This is what they're trying to communicate to that church. Now, let me take this even further. When you have to make a decision, or even when you're just walking through the world, it's probably a good thing for me to say to myself, am I living my life with grace? Like, is there grace in this? Because what I've realized is sometimes I struggle to find that kind of attitude. Right, let me just, let me just be real candid. Not, not all that long ago, I remember I left here one day, I was driving home, I, I, nobody warned me. You know, sometimes you get traffic alerts that tell you what's going on on your phone. No one warned me that only dummies were on the road. I did not know that. And the way that these other people were driving, and I just got, I was getting so frustrated, and I'm just kind of driving. I'm like, why are you driving so slow? Why are you driving so fast? Why don't you people know how to get out of my way? You know, and like, and with every traffic light, I was getting less like Jesus. Anybody been there? Right, And I remember I was sitting there, I was about to make a left turn, and I was just so tense, and I'm just looking at everybody like, oh, you know, kind of thing. And all of a sudden, I don't know whether it was the Holy Spirit or it was just, just I don't know, it was me, but it was like, Chad, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you so, like, I told myself I didn't want to be with myself. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I thought through my day, and I thought about my stresses, and I thought about the things, and I was like, I had been holding on to these things so much inside that I had pushed all grace out. And there was this attitude where everybody was a dummy but me, which may have very well been true, but you know the point, right? You know the point? And there's times when I just gotta go, am I living in grace? Because that's what God has given to me. So before you step into these Areas of your life that could come with potential conflict, start with this one. Ask yourself a question, am I living with grace? Which becomes a great partner to the second question. Number two, am I living in truth? Because those two things have this weird tension of grace and truth. Like Jesus says this, or it's a description of Jesus in, in John chapter one, verse 14, where we read that the word became flesh, John chapter one, verse 14 tells us, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of, help me, grace and truth. Now this is an interesting balance because grace says, I'm gonna extend God's grace to you, but truth says, but there is something that is true. Like in the same way that when we talk about grace, we, we agree that we should not be legalistic, truth says we should not compromise. Because there are some things that are truth. Now I don't have to be a jerk when I say it, but I do need to recognize, largely based on God's word, that some things just are true. And no matter what anybody else says, 
It doesn't deny what the truths of the reality are based on how God has created us and what God's word says and the reality of the situation. We need to recognize that we walk this strange tension as followers of Jesus Christ where we are filled with both grace and truth. Does that make sense? Why is the truth so important? Because you can believe anything you wanna believe, but that doesn't mean that it's true and that holds great consequence. Because when you believe something that is not true, it actually connects you, it might actually enslave you to something that isn't gonna pay off in the end, to something that doesn't have reality to it, the foundation isn't there. What did Jesus say about the truth? John 8, 32, he said, then you will know the truth and the truth will, anybody? <laughs> Set you free. So if you're looking for freedom, it's not in believing things you wanna believe, it's in the truth. Now that's a little tricky because there are voices in our culture that say you have your truth and I have mine, that your truth is whatever you want it to be, or you hold on to those principles or those, those values, whatever you want to, that's your truth. And the reality is that sounds good, but that's not how it works. Like I'm very thankful, I've got a little, little office upstairs at our house and, and I can look out the window and in the mornings I can see the sunrise. So if I'm sitting at my desk reading my Bible or working on something for the day and it's, it, I'm up, up that early and I, and I see the sunrise, it's just, it's just kind of cool, it's beautiful and it starts my day off right and I love just sitting there and watching the sunrise in the West. Because <laughs> when the sun rises in the West, it just does something to me. You say, sun doesn't rise in the West. <laughs> sun rises in the East. Well, that's your truth, but it's not mine. My truth is I like the sun coming up in the west. And that's how I believe this. And this is what I this is what means to me. It means something to me. It affects me in a certain way. I love that the truth rises or the sun rises in the west. And I can say that as much as I want, but does that make it true? No, the, the empirical truth, the real truth is that no matter how many times I say the sun rises in the west, it doesn't. Because it actually rises in the east. Your elementary school teachers are very proud right now that you retain that fact. And no matter how many times I wanna believe what I wanna believe, that doesn't change what the actual fact of the truth is. And so we walk this strange balance. We, we have to be committed to this. That when we come to these moments where we need cultural clarity, first two questions. I say, well, am I, am I living in grace? Because I don't wanna be a jerk. <laughs> but am I also living in truth because I don't wanna compromise? Which takes us into the third question, especially if you need clarity about something. Number three, what does God's word say? Number three, what does God's word say? Because there's no shortage of voices in our world that'll tell you what you should think. But the very first filter we run that through are the truths of scripture. What does God's word say about these things? When you read Acts chapter 15 for yourself, you'll, you'll see the times that they go back and they talk about the Old Testament scriptures. They use scriptures to be able to help them figure out how they're gonna respond in this moment. And you and I should do the same thing. Here's what the Bible says. Psalm 119, 130 tells us this. The unfolding of your words gives light. I love that phrase there, don't you? The unfolding of your words gives light. Something powerful about that, that when you open God's word and you need clarity, it's like there's a light that comes from it. The primary way that the Holy Spirit is gonna speak to you and I, as we, and we'll see this again even next week, is he does it through his word. And when we open it, 
when we unfold that, there's something that gives illumination to the places that are cloudy in our lives. He says, it gives understanding to the simple. I love it when a verse speaks right to me. Anybody else simple? Like, God, I just need your help on this. And that's what his word brings. So if you're in a place where you're saying, look, I need clarity, start with God's word. Look first for guidance from God's word and there see what it says and apply it to your life into that situation. Now, now you might go, well, how do, how do I do that? Like for some of you, maybe you have quite a bit of knowledge from God's word. Others, this may be something that's kind of brand new to you. There's lots of tools and resources. You, you could join a Bible study. There's, there's a resource on our website that you'll find called Right Now Media. And if you click on that under the media tab, it works kind of like, like Netflix. It's all streaming videos, has tons of Bible studies, tons of things for your kids that can help you that you can sign up there for free. We cover the cost of that. If you're saying, I need some kind of resource to help me understand God's word, the best tool that I would recommend is what's called the Fire Bible. And if you don't have one of those, it's a great tool. The scripture is there, but it also has notes and, and articles and things that can help you to understand what you're reading. The best place actually to get one is, is really just to go to firebible.org and you can get one there in order. It's, it's a tool that I use all the time um, for help just to kind of understand, well, what does God's word say about this subject or this topic? So when you come to a place where you need clarity, start here. Look first for guidance from God's word. Here's the next question then. After you've asked the question, what does God's word say? Number four is what do wise people say? What do wise people say? One of the things that you'll see in this letter is in the letter they list a bunch of people who they can rely upon on this subject. And even before this, they've had this long debate in the church about what they believe and different people spoke to it. Acts chapter 15, verse 25, in the letter it says this, so we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, they go on to say, in the next verse there, they say, therefore, we are sending Judas. This isn't Judas that we'll talk about at Easter. Same name, different guy. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. They keep saying, hey, look, we're gonna send some people to you who will give you wise information. If you're in a moment where you have to make some kind of decision, especially to navigate different situations that you might be facing in the world around you, find good counsel from wise people. My encouragement to you is that you find good counsel from wise people. I did it this week. I was like trying to figure something out. I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure what the best response is here. So I sent a text to a guy that's been a mentor in my life for you know, 25 years. And I said, hey, you got some time? And then he texted me back, and he said, yeah, I'll be driving at this time. You want to give me a call? I'll be in the car for several hours. So I gave him a call. We caught up, and then I walked him through kind of the decision that I needed to make. And it was interesting because he had insight right away. He said, actually, the Lord was just speaking to me about this in my life. And then he said, I had a decision like that I had to make once, and I came down on this end. And he, he, he literally just used one line that like kind of echoed in my head. And that was like a gift to me from God through him that when I went to a godly wise person, God was able to help speak and bring wise counsel. Now, if someone gives you counsel and it doesn't line up with the truth from God's word, it's not wise, true? 
Like, I don't care who the person is or what they say. If it doesn't line up from God's word, then it's not from God. But God will use people like that in your life to help you find good counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, for a lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. There's something important about this. And if you're in a point where you're trying to make some kind of a decision and you find yourself resistant to seeking counsel from godly people, it may be that the issue isn't that you don't trust their counsel. It may be that you are resistant to hearing anybody else because you've already got your mind made up. It may be an issue that's inside of you, that there's something you need to address if you're hesitant to receive good counsel from other people. Well, Chad, who do I go to? Well, maybe you have a mentor of some kind in your life, somebody that's spoken into your life before, somebody that you respect. Sometimes the reason you don't have a mentor is because you've never taken a step to ask somebody. Hey, can I, can I get some insight from you? Maybe somebody who's had some experience in the area that, that, you're, that you're wrestling with or, or somebody that maybe has some spiritual maturity that you've admired. Maybe there's somebody like that you could talk to. This is the incredible value of being a part of a life group. I mean, I know we've been banging that drum lately, but if you're not a part of a life group, I would encourage you to be. I could tell you story after story of sitting in the life group that Rhonda and I are a part of, and not during the time when we were praying, not during the time when we were talking about a sermon, not during the time when we were looking at God's word, but during the time that we were eating, which happens to be my favorite part of the life group. But during the time that we're eating, we're sitting around just catching up, and somebody says, well, this is what's going on on my job, or this is what's happening with my family, or this is, and what I watch is not that in that moment the pastor then opens his mouth and out of it comes tangible wisdom. Instead, the pastor just sits there chewing and watches as one person says to another, we, we walked through that once. Or, hey, man, have you ever thought about this? Or, you know, the, can we pray with you about that? And you're watching that God brings guidance into people's lives because they've sought wise counsel from people who have a voice in their life. Look, I believe this. If you say, well, Chad, I don't have anybody like that in my life, pray for a divine appointment. I've also heard story after story of somebody who says, well, I was talking to so-and-so and they helped me with it. And I was like, how do you even know them? And they're like, oh, we sat next to each other one day in church. Or I just struck up a conversation with them getting coffee on a Sunday morning. You never know how God might do that in your life. Another great place to get good counsel is not just from people you know, but it's also good to get good counsel from people you don't know who have left things behind them. They've written books. You can listen to podcasts. You, you can listen to sermons. You can find places where you can get good wisdom, oftentimes, to speak to specific subjects. Now, remember what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that everything on the internet has to be believed, right? No, the Bible does not say that. In fact, there's a good chunk of stuff on the internet that should just be deleted. So make sure you're reading things, you're listening to things that come from reputable sources. And can I tell you this? Sometimes we hear things and we're like, oh, I like that. And so we're willing to throw out the truth because we hear something that makes our ears itch. Gives us that little quiver in the liver and so we like it. Look, don't be quick to believe something that throws out a historical interpretation of scripture just because you like that one better. Because if this is what the church has believed for hundreds of years, then there's probably a reason why the church has believed it, true? So that gets us to this, this next thing. 
we're asking these questions when it comes to times when we need clarity. And here's the, the fifth question. What effect will this have on my relationships? This decision, this choice, what effect is it gonna have on my relationships? Now look, when we talk about relationships, we talk about this in multiple ways, right? So, so we have vertical relationship, right? That's our, probably the most important one, the relationship between us and God. So that's our vertical relationship. We also have a horizontal relationship, which is our relationship with other people, right? So it's us and our friends, our family, those that we interact with in the world, our church. We have the, the horizontal relationship, vertical relationship, and we also have an internal relationship. Because whether you realize it or not, you have a relationship with yourself, how you view yourself, how you talk to yourself, how, how you interact with yourself, how when you're sitting in the car, you tell yourself you don't like yourself. You know what I mean? Right, remember that? So I wanna show you a scripture that comes next in this letter. So they've set up the letter, they've had a tone of grace, they've talked about the wise people that have been involved, we know that they use God's word, and then we read this, Acts chapter 15, verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And then this is how they kind of talk about the culture. They say you are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. And that's the end. It was like, that's it? No, like, have a good day. No, like, you know, if you have questions, send us an email. Nothing. Just see ya. Peace. Like, that's the, that's the letter. And things here that, just to be honest, I don't understand. Like, look at this. This is 2,000 years later. You are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood. Okay. Like, I'm good with that from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. Not only is that kind of weird to throw in that letter, but three out of the four of those, I don't have any idea what they even mean because I didn't live in that world in that time. So when we look at those four kind of criteria there, one of the things that's really important is like, why those things? Like, why would they pick those four things? And here's a huge reason why. Because these four things have a lot to do with the relationships that these people have vertically, horizontally, and internally. And so they're saying, look, steer clear of these things that could be destructive to your relationships. So here's what I wanna do. Since we're asking questions, let me give you three quick thoughts kind of based on these things. Now look, those things were all part of the, the worship system that they would have had in that pagan culture. So just because they weren't Christians doesn't mean they weren't spiritual. And they worshiped this idolatrous system that was in their culture. And all four of those things were a part of that system that was a part of, not to be harsh, but what we would call kind of their pagan religion. And they all fit into that sacrificial system that they had there. So kind of based on these things, here's some things that when you're confronting our culture, like when you're having to make decisions about how as people whose lives have been changed by Jesus, you're gonna interact in a world that doesn't hold to the same values, here's some questions to ask. A first one would be, is this idolatrous? Like this thing that I wanna be a part of, this relationship that I wanna be in, this stuff that I wanna have, is it idolatrous? Because when they said, hey, stay away from meat, from food that's been sacrificed to idols, they're saying, look, when you grab hold of that, you're saying that something is more important in your life than the vertical relationship. Like you're sending a signal to yourself and to the world that there's something that matters more to you than God. 
Idolatrous is a, is a weird word because when I say idol, you think like, well, I don't have any kind of little like statue on my mantle that I worship. No, anything that becomes more important in my life than God is an idol. So think about this. Anything that becomes more important in my life than God is an idol. So when you put something in your life that somehow stands in the way of making that vertical relationship your priority, remember that, that's God's too. God's priority is that that vertical relationship be right because if this one's not right, none of the other ones will be. Anything that gets in the way of that is an idol, which takes us into the second part of these four things here. He says, is this idolatrous? And then he talks about strangled animals and blood, which is weird to us, but a part of their pagan sacrificial practice. And the reason he mentions this is for this second question that we need to ask sometimes, is this offensive? Like, is this thing I wanna choose, or this stuff I wanna do, or this part of culture that I wanna engage in, is this offensive? Who's the letter written to? The letter's being written to Gentile believers who are now going to church with Jewish people. And they've already said to the Jewish people, look, these Gentiles don't have to do the same Jewish stuff that you had to do to be Jewish. They just need Jesus to be saved. So they've told the Jews to settle down a little bit, right? But now they're telling the Gentiles, look, you need to honor this relationship that you have with your Jewish brothers and sisters. Because when you partake in meat that's been strangled, that's not kosher. So when you bring that into the fellowship hall for the party after church, or when that blood that's a part of that pagan process somehow works its way in when you invite your Jewish friends over for dinner, you have actually made it very difficult for them, and because of their convictions, you have offended them. And so what they're saying to the church is, I know that's something you probably could do, but is it something that you should do if just because you want to, you offend a brother and sister in Christ? You cause a wedge between yourself and another person. You, you put this wall between you and them, and it's one that is minor, it's not major, and we're not majoring on the minors, so get that out of the way because it's gonna offend your brother and sister. Does that make sense? So I'm thankful that we don't have to take care of our own animals. There'll be no strangling after this service. Can I get an amen? But what there can be is plenty of other things that I say, well, I can do whatever I want. I'm a free person. You sure are. But you offended quite a few people when you posted that. Or when you just thought you could just express your opinion, however, you failed to realize you touched into a deep part of their past that they're gonna be wrestling with for quite some time. Before you just live your life however you want, what they're saying here is make sure that you realize that the way you live has the opportunity not just to offend somebody, but literally hurt their relationship with Jesus. Let's take this one more step, and we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but when they talk about the animals that have been strangled in the blood, now there was a belief in that culture that those practices actually attracted demonic attention. 
Now, next week, we're going to talk about the, the spirit world, right? The demons and, and demonic activity and spiritual warfare. We're going to get to that when we, when we hit the next part of the book of Acts next week. But, but understand this, that no matter what you think about that, that's what they thought then, right? And their perception was that around these practices of animals that have been strangled for, for preparation for eating and the blood, it attracted demonic attention. And they're saying to the church there, look, when you go after those things, you're not only offending your brothers and sisters, but you're actually saying to God, the God who gave you grace, I want to give a little more attention to this demonic practice, God, than I do to you. This thing that has been influenced, not just by the culture, but literally by something that's coming from the enemy of God and his people. God, I'm drawn to this thing more than I am to you. Do you think that offends God? Here the reality is, I don't know about you, but I only have so much space left in my hard drive. Anybody? Like, I'm running out, I'm running out of real estate in my brain. So I only have so much. And every time I... I download something into my brain that comes from a source that is actually in opposition to God. The things I watch, the things I listen to, the things I engage in. Every time I download that into my brain, I take up space that God wants to fill. I literally push him out of the way. And do you think that offends him? So we gotta ask some questions when we engage with culture. Like, is this idolatrous? Is this offensive to others or to God? And then this is one we probably don't need to pay a whole lot of attention to in our culture and in our time, but here's, a, here's another question. Is this immoral? Aren't you glad we don't have to ask those questions about sexual morality? Or should we? If we ever should, it's now. Why did they make this a big deal in this letter? Because when people were leaving the practices that they had before they were believers in Jesus, and stepping into the church, there was some new thinking that needed to come in. So of all the things that they could stress, they stressed sexual immorality because part and parcel in the practice that they had in their pagan culture, in their sacrificial system that was outside of God, was sexual immorality. You name it, it was a part of it. I mean, it was not only a part of their culture, it was literally a part of their worship. And so now they're stepping out of their world without God into their beliefs with God, and two things are happening. They're bringing some of those practices into the church, and the people in the church are now being tempted to engage in sexual immoral practices. And it's something that we can't afford, uh, afford to avoid even in our culture today. Now look, what I don't wanna do don't have the time to do is list everything that we're against. So can I just tell you what the Bible's for? Is that okay? Six of you, I'm so happy that you're. God's plan is for sexual activity to be between one man and one woman in marriage. That's, that's what we read in scripture. God's plan is for sexual activity to be between one man and one woman in marriage for a lifetime. Anything outside of that, the Bible defines as sin. That statement is easy to be categorized as narrow, old-fashioned, intolerant, and maybe even hateful. 
And can I just throw out just real quick, I didn't say it. It wasn't my idea. But it comes from God's word. And if God's word says it, then it's truth. And so I wanna walk this out with grace and truth. Now look, let's take this one more step even further. Why does this matter? Because when, you, when you're in, a, in an idolatrous practice, right, it affects your vertical relationship. And when you offend someone or offend God, it affects your vertical and your horizontal. But the, the real thing, and scripture talks about this that's so troubling about sexual immorality, is it affects you vertically, horizontally, and internally. Like it affects every relationship in your life. God, others, and your view of self. Now look, the pastor preached too long on the front end, so he's gotta run through this now. <laughs> but can I tell you, I know that just even by bringing this up, it raises all kinds of questions. Because for some of you, like that statement, in and of itself has created a, a wedge of some kind between you and somebody that you love. That if you hold to this for your child, for your family member, for your friend or your coworker, it creates this challenge that's there. And there's really no easy response to that other than just know that that person that you love, that God loves them too, and that you're not alone in walking through that. Never forget that when Jesus interacted with the people in his culture, he always started with relationship and expressing love to them, even before he stepped into whatever it was next that they needed from him. Can I, can I also encourage you that I know that there are probably some people who are watching this or people who are sitting in the room who just go, well, I don't agree with that. Like, Chad, I think that's a little backwards. It's a little old fashioned. I'm not sure that's even where we land. And we don't have time to sort all that out, but can I tell you this about this church? No matter how you land on any of these issues, this is a place where you are loved, where you are valued, and you are welcomed. And can I tell you this? No matter where you land on any of these things, I think these are things that sometimes we allow in our relationships to honestly, in light of eternity, be minors that cause us to forget the majors. Can I tell you what God's priority is? God's greatest priority is that you be in right relationship with him, that you know his forgiveness and that you know his grace, no matter who you are. If there's anything you hear today, hear that. One last thought before we kind of walk away from this, and I just want to mention this to parents. Parents, can I, can I encourage you? You cannot leave this moment up to the culture to train your children. When it comes to these subjects, when it comes to these things, don't just slip into cruise control and think you're just gonna skate right through those years. I know it's not easy and I know it is a challenge, but you make sure that your kids understand what God's word says, how he created them, how we live to please him, even in the culture that we're in, and be engaged in the life of your children. Know what they're watching, know what they're listening to, be active in their world. I would encourage you, um, I know they didn't like it, but if our kids were on a social media platform, I made sure they knew dad was on there too. I wasn't cool, still not. Make it a priority that your kids are developing friendships with people that they share the same values with and don't leave it up to anybody else to be your child's parent. 
Chad, I don't even know what I believe about some of these things. Oh, am I glad you asked. Look, we're a part of a fellowship of churches called the Assemblies of God. You've heard us talk about this. You might say, well, Chad, in, in this world, why are you a part of a denomination? Why aren't we like just non-denominational or like Church of the Free Will or whatever you wanna be, right? Well, here's the reason why. When we're a part of, there's benefits when you belong. So because we belong to a larger organization, like my credentialing, our staff's credentialing and accountability, I'm thankful come from someone higher than just me. I'm also thankful that being a part of the Assemblies of God, there, there are thousands of missionaries that we partner with, so we don't have to figure out how we're gonna help those in Ukraine or see the gospel go to parts of the world where it's not heard. We can already know that we can invest our time, energy, and money into places where the gospel is already going forward. Does that make sense? We can do more together than we can alone. And one of the huge benefits of belonging is because together we know what we believe. So if you say, well, what do we believe as a church? Well, you can go out to the Assemblies of God's website, super easy, ag.org. Assemblies of God's just ag.org. When you click on the beliefs tab, one of the things that drops down says position papers. And if you wanna know what we believe on cultural issues, there's quite a few resources there to help with scripture and what we believe. Here's just a few that are there. Alcohol, gambling, divorce and remarriage homosexuality, marriage and sexual identity, abortion and reproductive issues, euthanasia, transgenderism, transsexuality and gender identity are all things that if you say, I'd like to know more, that's a great place for you to go. Which leaves us then with the last thing that I need to just wrap up with you real quick. Number six, and this is maybe the question you need to be asking yourself every single day. What is the Holy Spirit saying? How is the Spirit leading me? How is the Spirit guiding me? What is it that the Spirit wants to speak into my heart? How did they, how did they bring their letter to a conclusion? They said this, Acts chapter 15, verse 28, before they walked through all the details, they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They didn't see, say just, it seemed good to us. Hey, we've got a good idea. They said, look, we prayed about this. We sought God for this. We sensed his peace and his discernment in this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And we talked early in this series about hearing the voice of the Spirit, so we won't go back into that today. But can I ask you to, to make it a part of your daily practice to say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me today? And when it comes time to make a decision, I believe he'll give you peace. When you come to a crossroads, he'll give you discernment. But we've taken time to kind of unpack these questions that we ask, because here's the bottom line. I want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. Anybody else? then I need to make sure that I'm thinking right, that I'm walking in grace and truth, that I'm open to what God's word says, to wise counsel, to how that's gonna affect me vertically, horizontally, and internally in my relationships, and ultimately to saying, Holy Spirit, I wanna be right in my core so that when I face a cloudiness in this culture, I'll have clarity from you. When I was in high school, and then for about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years later, I drove, I don't wanna make you jealous, I drove a 1988 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra and I was a bad man. Sunroof and all, yeah. I was that guy. I loved that car. There's nothing fancy about it. Rhonda loved me in spite of that car. But I loved that car. And we went through one season where, I, and I'm trying to remember, I can't remember if we, I think maybe it was when we lived in Wisconsin, was this is a bad idea, but it would get cold, and then I'd turn the heater on, and when I'd turn the heater on, the windshield would fog up. 
And I was like, well, that's, that's not right. So you turn the defroster on and the defroster wouldn't touch it. And so then eventually I would just keep a rag in the car and then I would just wipe the, because it, was, it, wasn't, it, was, it wasn't like condensation, it was like goopy. And it's like, ah, oh, this isn't right. But I just wipe it off and then I'd have clarity to see past the cloudiness that was there. And then when I turned the heater on again, it would do the whole thing. And as I'm doing this again, and eventually like Rhonda's like, there's something wrong. And I was like, I know, but I'm cheap. I'm just gonna, why fix it when I can just do this? So eventually we took it in and they're like, well, hey, you've got an issue. <laughs> I said, I know I got plenty of them, but I mean, it's like, and they're like, your heater core has a leak in it. And so what happens is the, the antifreeze in your heater core drips into the heater box. And so then when it's blowing the air up into heat your car, what happens is there's condensation in it. So it, and it smelled sweet, but it, it, it would coat the windshield. So then you couldn't see and you had no clarity when you were driving, which can be problematic, true? So what I needed to do to be able to see clearly is make sure that things were right at the core. And for us, if we're not willing to say, Holy Spirit, I'm gonna walk in grace and truth. And Holy Spirit, I wanna know what your word says. And God, send the right people into my life to speak to my life. And vertically, horizontally, internally, God, I want my relationships to be right with you at the core. In this cloudy world, I want to see clearly where you're sending me. So Holy Spirit, help me to hear your voice. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Here's the simple question just real quick. Do you need clarity from the Holy Spirit today? Because before you turn off this service on TV or online or before you walk out of this building today, I believe the Spirit can meet you and in a moment can bring some peace to your life, can bring some insight to your decisions, can bring some backbone to that place where you want to compromise and bring some grace to that place where it's easy to be a jerk. Holy Spirit, we need you. From our very core, we need you. So would you speak to our hearts? Lord, there's one who's, who's facing some conflict in their life right now. Would you help them to do it with grace? Lord, and there's somebody who's trying to decide how they're gonna address an issue. Would you help them to do that based on your truth? Lord, as we open up your word, would you let it bring light to our simple minds? Lord, would you give us divine appointments where people will speak words of life into us? And Father, vertically and horizontally and internally, would you help our relationships to be right with you? Lord, we want to live in a way that doesn't just seem right to us, but in a way that is good to the Holy Spirit. And so let us hear your voice. Lord, thanks again for your word. Holy Spirit, would you come alongside of us as we go from here? Would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.